Well, I do have a message this morning. I struggled this week. I'll just be honest with you. It's not been a good week. And uh, struggled with the message, praying over it and asking the Lord to help us. And I believe he's uh, allowed me to preach this this morning. Out of the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, be looking at. Titus chapter 3. I would like to say it is a joy to be in God's house today, and um, I'm thankful for, for you folks for being here today. Titus chapter 3, when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word, Titus chapter 3, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word. Help us now, and may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Back in 1984, Mary and I graduated from high school. Uh, she went to uh, Temple, and uh, I went to Gibbs. But in 1984, if you listen to country music at that time, Alabama was one of the, the biggest groups of, of that time. They had a number one hit on the radio called, If You're Going to Play in Texas, you got to Have a Fiddle in the Band. Now, that was a good song, and it was number one, but on the flip side of that, and they still made vinyl records then, on the flip side of that single, there was another song that nobody ever thought would go anywhere, and uh, that song was called, I'm Not That Way Anymore. Maybe you remember that song. It was a good one. But it talked about a man in his life and how it used to be back when he was wild and crazy and younger and, and all the things that he did before he matured and learned uh, to live like a man should live. Uh, one of the, the words is, I'm not that way anymore. Time's closing yesterday's door. I'm just as happy as I was before because I'm not that way anymore. Well, I'm not here to preach about country music today or, or the group Alabama. <laughs> they were a good group, but... Here in our opening text, we find the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a young pastor. Much like Timothy, he acknowledged there his own son after the common faith. And so he was trying to help out Titus uh, by giving him instructions for the church. And that's what the book of Titus is for, by the way. If you start in the beginning of it, he starts talking about elders and, and uh, things and, and how they should live and how they should be called and, and how they should behave themselves and, and the, the, the commonalities and the qualities of those types of people and those called into the ministry. But then he starts focusing upon the, the behavior and the lifestyle of the Christian and how Christians ought to live now that they are saved. And so he helping him to uh, uh, in this place that he's he's been left to uh, pastor in. Uh, he was saved under Paul's preaching 
And so Paul takes a special interest in his ministry. But just like everywhere Paul went, he liked to keep up with the people that he left behind after he left and the churches. And that's what the letters of Paul, by the way, they're called these church epistles or prison epistles at some times, but they're always directed toward the church and not a building, but people that, that gather together in the name of Christ that were saved there uh, wherever Paul had been. Uh, and so Paul had left Titus on the island of Crete to to pastor here. He's He's been appointed to oversee the place and appointing of elders to the church. Now, Crete is the largest island of Greece, and it was not a good place to be ministering at. If you could think of a bad place that we that anywhere in America or even in the world, Crete was one of the worst. Um, the people there were just rotten. They were terrible people. In fact, there in Titus chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so Paul had an understanding how these people in Crete behave themselves, how they've always lived. And they've lived like the devil. They've lived like dogs. And he's trying to tell Titus here, now listen, you've got to preach to these people. Be straight with them and tell them, it's no longer like that. You're not that way anymore. You're not that way anymore. And so verse 1, he says, oh, by the way, that word Cretan, you may have heard somebody call somebody a Cretan. My, my older sister used to call me that when we were growing up. You Cretan is a derogatory name. And, and that's where that name comes from is the Cretans here. And it, it means liars and evil beasts is what the word means. So look at verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. Now, remember what Paul's doing here. He's talking to Titus, telling him how to preach to the people what they need to know and remember now that they're saved. And so he's instructing him to remind them that they are also subject to the authority of the leaders, the leadership. They're to live like the the law of the land, just like uh, everyone else does. Just because they're Christians don't mean they they get in a a little group uh, by themselves and maybe have a compound somewhere and live over here and only do their thing and not have anything to do with the rest of the world around them. That's called cult, friends. Uh, We've seen the the results of the cults. Jim Jones and and, uh, David Koresh and all those uh, nutcases like that started these cults, called themselves Christians. Well, what did they do? They ended up killing themselves, killing people around them and everything else, living, living like the devil would live, uh, getting there, having, having relationships with little children and multiple wives and all these things. That's a cult. And so Paul's telling them that they, they're also subject to the principalities and powers and to, they're to obey magistrates. Just because you're Christian don't mean that you don't obey the law and, uh, live that way. So what he's wanting to do is ensure they all live in harmony, not only with other Christians, but with the world around them. And that's the way we ought to be. You know, we can't just close ourselves up in this this nice church building and uh, lock the world out and, and refuse, you know, to help the world or be among the world. We're going to live here in this world. You know, if we if God wanted us immediately to come to heaven, all he'd have to do is save us and kill us and take us to heaven. But he leaves us here for a reason. We're to be the hand and feet of Christ. We're not to lock ourselves up and, and become a cult. He said there also in that, to be ready to every good work. In other words, you shouldn't have to be reminded that one of your jobs as a Christian is to do good work. 
You know, we shouldn't have to remind anybody that we, especially as Christians, ought to be reaching out to other people, ought to be helping other people, whatever it means, whether it's, you know, giving food, clothing, or, or whatever. But mostly we need to tell them about the gospel. That's our number one uh, goal for the church is to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. But a lot of people, they get saved, they sit on a church pew for the rest of their life, and they never do a thing. Uh, that's not the way it works, friends. Uh, he's telling them here, if they see something or someone that and needs something done, they need to be the first ones to step up and reach out and help. Uh, my mom always got upset with people because she she worked herself to death on things. And people would say, so if you need any help, you let me know. Let me know, you know, all this stuff. She won't let you know. And so my mom always said, if they want to help, they'll get over here and just start doing things. And I said that to one guy, and he said, well, I don't like that. I, I want somebody to tell me what to do and all this stuff. And, you know, all this. Well, I'm like my mama. If you really want to help, you're going to just jump up and start helping. Don't sit back and wait for somebody to ask you to help. Get with it. And so uh, we must assume responsibilities. As a Christian, we're expected to help others when we can. We're not supposed to duck our heads and pretend that we don't see those that's, that's out there lost and dying and going to hell or somebody that's in need. We don't walk by somebody that's homeless and sitting there with a, a sign in their hand saying, you know, need food or whatever and walk by and, and, and look away. Uh, listen, if we can help them, we help them. It don't matter if they're sitting there. I don't care if people say, well, you know, a lot of people do that, and they're not really homeless or helpless. So what? You know, if you've got a dollar, give them the dollar. God's going to bless you anyway. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, feed somebody if they need help. Give them something to eat. Help those that cannot help themselves. But don't sit around and wait for somebody to tell you to do it. Verse 2, he says, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men, all men. Do you see that? All men. Not just your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but all men. And it's a shame that we have to be reminded not to talk about people, isn't it? Isn't it terrible that God has to tell us not to speak evil of, of anyone? <laughs> well, because Christians are some of the worst friends to start talking about people. I mean, just tearing people down. We, people can't wait to get on the phone and tear somebody down. They hear a little bit of gossip. Get on the phone. Let's start calling people. I know a woman that busted up a complete church just getting on the phone, calling everybody and getting them all riled up over something that wasn't even true. And I tell you what, you've got to be careful. And so uh, James says this in James 3 and 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Now, James isn't just talking about your physical body. He's talking about the body of Christ. He said that tongue, will, will it'll affect that whole body of believers. And so it also goes on to say in our text in Titus uh, verse 2 there, chapter 3, verse 2, uh, he says that we're not to be brawlers. <laughs> uh, now, that could be somebody that, you know, uses their fist, or it could be with your words, always arguing and keeping things riled up and strife, somebody stirring up trouble. Uh, you know, some people just got to have drama in their lives all the time. You know those people. I mean, they're not happy unless they're unhappy. They're not happy unless they got everybody all worked up, man, you know, in a tizzy. And uh, there's some people like that. Well, the Bible says we're not to be that way, to be no brawlers but gentle. Don't go around causing fights and fusses and drama. And, uh, you know, Christians should live peaceably. 
be meek and mild like the Lord Jesus. Showing all meekness is what it says. Showing all meekness unto men. Uh, what an awful testimony for people to see a Christian. Somebody that claims to be a Christian going around just stirring up strife and trouble and, and all that. Verse 3 goes on to say, For we ourselves also underline that little four-letter word, were. Were. For we also also were. Sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Uh, I like how Paul says we ourselves. So he's not just speaking about him only, but he's talking about everybody, all Christians, everybody there in that church, everybody that claims they were saved, even Titus himself. You know, we used to be that way. We were. We were like that. Sometimes foolish. I don't know about you, but I've sometimes been foolish, and I sometimes still am. And so he's including all those Christians there that Titus is having to, to uh, pastor over, and he makes that list of things that they used to do. They were known for this, being disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts. That means many lusts. Divers means many. And pleasure, living in malice and envy. There, there it is, those brawlers are living in malice and envy. Always stirring up stuff, hateful and hating one another. What reminds me a lot about uh, the place we live in today in the United States of America. All those things are going on right now. Flip on the news, flip on some television show, and you're going to find all these things going on. Now, I know this country was founded as a Christian nation. Anybody that tells you otherwise is a liar. It was founded as a Christian nation. But it's in fact becoming a pagan nation. You know, for the first 150 years or so, this country had strong Christian influences. Even people in political offices and parties, they had Christian influences. The Bible was the moral guidebook for, the, for our great land. The Bible, they used it. Nowadays, they don't even want to swear upon the Bible anymore. We'll put something else up there. Give me the Koran. Give me, give me this. Give me that. The, uh, the Fruit Loops are wanting to put their hand on something else. They don't want to put it on the Bible. And so this country is, has, for the last 30 years, have went, has went straight downhill. A rapid decline in morals and values. And there's still millions of people that say, I'm a Christian. They still say they're a Christian. They believe they're a Christian. They tell everybody they're a Christian. You know, everybody that you go and knock on the door and ask them, they, they've been saved. They're a Christian. They got baptized. They went to this church. They went to that church. Their daddy was a, was a preacher. Their grandpa was a preacher. This and that and all this stuff. And they think that they're a Christian. But obviously, from the, the, the way our nation is today and everything going on, they're not. The majority of the world is not a Christian. Christian in mind or name, maybe, but not practicing Christians. Not following Christ. That's what a Christian is, people that follow Christ and live like Christ would live. The truth is atheism, self-expression, materialism, it dominates our country today. Everything today is about turning inward to self. Look at self. Me, myself, and I. You know, Make sure that I'm number one. Nobody looks at everybody else anymore and tries to help. Even our lawmakers and government officials today, they're corrupt, morally bankrupt. They, they don't care about the Lord. They may put on a show. Where there's a political campaign going on. They're campaigning for office. And they want to pretend they're this and that. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm this. I'm, I'm all the. Yeah, all right. Well, you're not living like that. You don't talk like that. 
And if they, they become uh, in that office they're in, they sure never do live that way again. And so <laughs> um, if, if most of the people that are in political offices today that pass laws and bills and all this stuff were truly Christians, we wouldn't see such morally corrupt and sinful laws being passed. We wouldn't because a true Christian could not, would not allow such a thing to go on. I couldn't pass some kind of law or decree or something like that legalizing something that God's called a sin. I could not do that. Consciously, I could not do that. And if I was in such a, a position to where it was uh, up to me to cast a vote or to, to say this or that, I would quit that position if I was put that way if everybody else was voting the wrong way. I would just quit because I'm not going to vote the wrong way. I'm not going to tell somebody that's okay when it's not or when God said it's a sin that it's not a sin. Here in Paul's uh, his case to Titus, he's emphasizing the Cretans have lived that way in the past. That's what they're used to doing, living that way. But now that they're saved, they should no longer live the same way. They're not that way anymore. That's what they ought to be saying. I am not that way anymore. I'm no longer hateful. I'm no longer stirring up strife and trouble. I'm no longer a brawler, but I'm trying to be gentle, showing meekness to people. That's what Paul's telling Titus. That's what you need to drive into their heads because they aren't that way anymore since Christ lives within them. Look at our next verses there. Verse 4, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things uh, I will I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Now, here Paul is simply describing now that these people have been saved. And we know how they got saved. It wasn't by their righteousness they did it. That's what he said, not by our righteousness, but by God's grace they were, they've been saved. And, and when God saved them, he did some kind of work inside of them. He changed them. They're not the same anymore. He did a, a, a washing, a regeneration here of these people. And so things are different uh, with this person. And do you notice that in verse 8? He said, these things I will that thou affirm constantly. Don't just go and tell them one time and, and think they got it. No, they didn't. They're going to say, Brother Scott was talking about how he liked how the repetition was uh, in the Gospel of John or in the book of John's there we, we've been studying in, uh, how things are repeated. Friends, we need that repetition because we're hard-headed up here. This up here is full of rocks for most people. And so we need those rocks busted up. And so we need to hear it constantly, Paul says. Tell them constantly, affirm it constantly. You're not the same way anymore. Quit acting and living and thinking the same way because you're not that same person. And so you may be sitting here this morning thinking, well, Brother Byron, you know, I want to live like a Christian should live. I want to live in a way pleasing to God. But for some reason or another, my thoughts go back to the way that I used to be back before I got saved. I have temptations that I used to have. I still sometimes do those things I used to do. So what's going on, Brother Byron? Well, I understand that. Fair enough. 
Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, most people that quote that verse and throw that verse out in your face and, and drive it home to you, uh, they, they do that and then they walk away without any other explanation. Sort of like, there you go, that settles it. So if you're not a creature, new creature, you're not acting like a new one, then you're not saved. And I've heard people say that. Because the Bible says you become a new creature in Christ. So if you're still thinking the same way and still doing the same things and all this, then you're probably not saved. Well, that's not according to the Word of God. Here the Bible, when we're talking about a new creature, it means something entirely different than what a lot of people want to teach and preach. It don't mean that all of a sudden God sent a lightning bolt down here and everything inside of you completely flip-flopped to the opposite of what it used to be. And that's what a lot of people think. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so, listen... Uh, <laughs> You, if you no longer thought the same, you no longer acted the same, no longer looked the same, and you become this new creature, as a lot of people have in their mind, and they think if you didn't experience some kind of miraculous, life-changing event, then you wasn't saved. All right, well, that does a lot of damage to a lot of people. And what we've got to do is see what the Bible says. I want you to know that when you study the Bible, there's only one person the Bible talks about that was struck down when they got saved, and that was the Apostle Paul. He was actually struck down and blinded at the time he got saved. But that's not what saved him. That wasn't the event that saved him. God saved him by grace. And so for the majority of people that believe in the Lord Jesus, we simply believe the gospel. We believe the Word of God. And the Word of God said if we believe in the Lord Jesus, that He died on that cross to save us from our sins, that He was crucified and buried and rose again, if we believe in Him as our Savior and receive Him, then we are saved. We call on the name of the Lord because we believe in Him as Savior. Not because we expect a lightning bolt. Not because we expect some kind of bells and whistles. And there's a lot of people today that try to make you think, if you didn't, when you went down the altar to pray to get saved and, and it wasn't like, you know, the fireworks went off, then, then I've got to question your salvation. I knew one pastor would go around saying, you might want to check up on your salvation when you didn't feel a certain way. You know, everybody over here on this side's crying and boo-hooing and everything. This guy over here is just sitting there looking like this, you know. If you don't, if you're not crying and acting like these people over here, then you might want to check up on your salvation. That's not in the Bible. And while I realize there are plenty of folks that felt a great emotional stirring when they got saved, I did. I felt like my heart was beating out of my chest when God convicted me that I was lost. And it was such a relief after it was over. It was a, it was a great relief. But I didn't hear birds singing or bells ringing or fireworks going off or anything like that. And I can say to you today, the majority of people don't either. But yet, for some reason, there's a lot of people today that put that kind of thought into people's minds, especially the lost. Oh, if you get saved, you'll never be the same again. You won't be the same again. You'll be a new creature in Christ. But listen, you're not going to outwardly, your physical appearance is not going to change. Your thoughts, you're still going to think a lot of those bad thoughts that you used to think. And so that's why Paul has to tell him, affirm constantly. Tell him constantly about this because we know how they are. But they're not that way anymore. And listen, I, I'm going to say something. It may offend you. I don't know. I'm not intending to offend you. But if the only time that you make some kind of outward expression or, or shout or, or hallelujah or, or get excited and cry and boo-hoo and all this stuff is when you're at church, 
with other believers. That's the only time that happens to you. I've got to question that. If you can't get that way by yourself, reading the Word of God, praying to God, being in communion with God, if you're not doing that with Him, then, then what's that saying? I can only do it in front of people. <laughs> I know a lot of people that put on a show. They was a, at a church we were at, and there was a couple that came, young couple with kids, and they were visiting. And boy, we were excited, hoping they was going to come. They were Crown College graduates and everything, going to help out. I mean, she could play the piano. He, you know, he could work and, and visit and all this stuff. And boy, I was excited about it. I thought, boy, we got a, a you know a quality family moving in here. And uh, they got to talking to the the pastor's wife. That I wasn't the pastor. The pastor's wife, and uh, told her uh, they asked why they left their other church and they said well they want a little more fire now in the in the service and sermon and stuff now, i don't know what they meant by that but she took it to meant that they needed to see a show and so after she was told that i'm telling you what she broke out jumping up and down and hooping and hollering and screaming and and shouting and going on all this stuff completely opposite of what normally happens and those people got up in that service, stood up, turned around, and walked out the door and never came back. And they knew, just as well as everybody else did in that church, that was nothing but phony baloney. Putting on, trying to act like the fire of God had come down. That was strange fire. Strange fire. And so, listen, when we come in and, and work up and try to think everything's got to be emotional and all this, that's nothing but a flesh show. God says he wants people to come and worship him in spirit and in truth. And if your spirit and your truth is not leading you to, to squall or, or holler out or cry or run or jump pews or whatever, then it's not of God. If it's not telling you to do that, that's God saying you don't need to do that. Now, if he does, if God truly does say, jump up and, and walk those pews, do it. Do it. If that's God telling you, do it. But if he's not telling you to do that, if you just think, this is going to look good, Boy, what will they think if I do this? It's you. It's your flesh. Don't do it. We'll get back to the message. So what about that new creature the Bible talks about? Let me give you an example of this. When I was a young man, I used to go outside all the time. We didn't have stuff that kids have today. We didn't have PlayStation and all that stuff. And so all we had to do was go outside and play. And we were out there by the time the sun came up and it went down, we were outside constantly. And so one of the big things I like to do, and we live in the country, I like to go out into the, the, the farms and the, and the barns and the creeks and ponds and everything else and, uh, and discover things. And one of those things was insects. And so I got to collecting these insects. One reason, because my sisters hated it. And I could bring it in front of them, they'd run off screaming and going on crying. But I love to collect insects. And there in front of my mom and dad's house, there was an old black cherry tree. It grew up pretty big. Every year, we'd look up in that cherry tree, and there would be a big caterpillar uh, nest. And, you know, they, they spin this big uh, cocoon up in the tree, these caterpillars. And these caterpillars, they crawl all over the, the yard and up the trees and everything else, you know, all the time. But when they decide they're going to build that cocoon, they get up there and spin that thing and live in there. And uh, I don't know how long it takes, but eventually they become moss or butterflies, one of the two. And so what used to be these little black, yelly, crawly caterpillars would become these beautiful winged creatures that would come around and, and fly around. 
And so when you look at that, you can think about, about it like this. You may have heard this comparison before. The caterpillar and the butterfly are really a picture of a lost and saved person. At one time, they were this creepy, crawly thing going on the ground in the filth and muck and mire. But then one day, things change. They become a new creature, this beautiful butterfly or beautiful moth. And it comes up off the ground and floats through the air and is a wonderful thing. Well, a caterpillar is from below. It lives on the ground, crawling around most of the time until it decides to go up a tree or something and, and spin its, uh, its silk or whatever. Um, but a butterfly is from up, up above. That's where it spends most of its time. Now, it comes down lots on flowers and things like that. And I remember chasing those things as kids, you know. We didn't have one of those nets like a lot of people had. We just tried to grab them. I always messed them up. But, but the butterfly is completely different. However, unlike the caterpillar, a butterfly can choose to come down to the ground and walk around if it wants to. And every now and then, when you walk through the cow pasture, there'll be a butterfly on a pile of cow manure. I know that sounds bad, but that's just the truth. Beautiful butterfly sitting there on, on a pile of, of cow manure. And so they have the choice to remain up there in the air and be a beautiful floating creature, or they can come down to the ground in the muck and the mire and the, the waste, the nastiness. And so we can choose to go back and crawl around like that lost sinner we used to be. We can get down in the muck and the mire and live the way that we used to be, but we're not really that creature anymore. We're a new creature. We're that butterfly. We ought to be flying high above all that misery and, and despair and sin. We cannot expect to rise above all that if we're not trying to, though. That's why Paul said, affirm constantly. That's why the Bible keeps telling us to put on the new man. You notice that? Put on the new man. That means you've got to physically do that. And so it's something that we must do. We've got to remember, we're not that same creature anymore. And so the drunk can't spend his time in a bar and expect to stay sober. A drug addict can't go back to his drug buddies and his dealer and expect not to get high. And so it's a choice that we make to live a certain way. People that have sexual addictions, they can't go searching for it on the internet or going to a store and buying a dirty book or magazine. A gossiper can't stay on the phone with those hens that they gossiped with before. Or roosters, for those men that gossip. <laughs> and so you can't expect to live like a Christian ought to live when you're purposely living the way you used to live. And so we must live like that new creature. Someone who's truly saved may still be drawn to the things of their past, back into the world that they used to come from, but they will be miserable. They, if they're truly saved, God will convict their hearts that they're in the wrong, that they're sinful. And so while they may go and dab around and, and, and things like in the things they used to be, it's constantly going to be nagging at them. God's going to be saying, the Holy Spirit's going to be saying, hey, you're not supposed to be here. You were saved. You're no longer the same. You're a new creature. Stop living like the old creature. Get out of this mess. And so we must consciously make an effort to live like God would have us live. A caterpillar loves being around in the, in the dirt. He hangs out with other creatures that's still in the dirt. In fact, some caterpillars, they move in with ants and eat their larvae. Sin hangs around with sin. 
And so if you are trying to live like a Christian, you can't live like the lost lives. A butterfly, they enjoy fluttering around in the breeze, eating nectar from flowers and pollinating the earth. A Christian also should enjoy helping others and being useful. A caterpillar can only see the things. When the caterpillar is on the ground, all he can see is what's right here around him. He can't see the big picture. But what happens to the butterfly? Butterfly sees it all. See, it's the difference in the lost and the saved. The lost, down here in the muck and the mire, they can't see things around them. They can't understand the Word of God. They, they can't discern it. But a Christian can. Because we're up here. And God gives us the ability to discern those things which are right and wrong. Discern those things which are of God. Discern the Spirit. That's why we must rise above the filth. And so... The mountain that the caterpillar sees, it looks huge and impossible to get over. But the butterfly up here in the air, he's looking at it and said, that's no big deal. And so when you're living back in that old way, living like that lost sinner, it seems like such a, a stumbling block in front of you. How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to quit doing this? Why am I going to quit thinking this way? And so we've got to rely upon that new creature that is in each of us, if you've been saved, that new creature lives in you. You've got to rise above it. You've got to put on the armor of God. You've got to put on the new man. You've got to uh, constantly be affirmed, get a firmness of your faith. And so the new creature the Bible is talking about is much like this caterpillar and the butterfly. Once the caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it cannot transform back into the same way that it used to be cannot it's forever changed old things are passed away behold all things have become new it no longer has 16 feet that's how many a caterpillar has you know how many a butterfly has six it can no longer pick up those 10 legs it used to have and so it's completely changed it will never have those 10 feet again it now has wings and it's light as a feather it cannot go back to being a worm-like creature because it's become a new creature. So once we're saved, we're changed. We cannot be unsaved. And there, there's somebody been arguing about it this week. Uh, claiming that uh, we teach a false gospel. That you can actually lose your salvation. Friends, that's not in the Bible. You can't lose your salvation. If you've truly been saved, you can't unsave yourself. We no longer belong to Satan now that we're a new creature. We don't belong to him. We belong to God. That cannot be undone. Satan cannot touch your soul. If you've been saved, he can't unsave you. He can't send you to hell. He's not got the keys to hell, by the way. God has those keys. The Lord Jesus has those keys. Hell was created for the devil and his angels to be cast in to suffer God's wrath. And, of course, the Bible says it enlarges itself daily. Why? Because of lost sinners dropping off into hell. If we're truly saved, we will no longer go to hell, but we will go to heaven. Also, we no longer sin without consciousness. We consciously, when we're sinning, we know we're sinning. If you've been saved, the Holy Spirit's telling you you're sinning. And so, does that mean we will no longer think the old way or maybe sometimes slip up and do some of the things we used to do. No, it doesn't, doesn't mean we won't because most likely you will, I will, we all will. 
Even the butterfly, like we said, will occasionally go down into the, the muck and the mire, and we will slip up. We'll battle that sin nature. The Bible talks about the old man and the new man battling one another. There'll be times we will feel defeated. I know some people has got, got waylaid and off track for a long time, but they finally made their way back. I'm thankful that we do serve a loving and gracious, slow to anger God who does forgive us when we come to him. He forgives us, cleanses us from our sin and, and all unrighteousness. So does that mean that we have a license to sin? We can go ahead and keep doing it anyway. Well, that's the Bible says otherwise. Romans 6, verses 1 through 7. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ we uh, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So the answer is no. We can't just go on and engage in sin any old time just because we have security in Christ, just because we're saved and uh, eternally. If the fact is, if you truly desire to live a sinful life, and you're, no, you're not getting chastisement by God, if you're not feeling convicted when you sin, then you can probably safely say you have not truly been saved. I'm not one here to tell somebody if they're saved or if they're not saved. I can't tell it by looking at you. I knew a pastor said he could. He could look at somebody and tell if they were saved or not. Not in the Bible either. Only God knows. It's personal salvation. It's not a community salvation. It's personal, one-on-one, you and the Lord Jesus. And so if we're saved, God will chasten his children, the Bible tells us. If he doesn't, then the Bible says we're bastards. We're We're not his children. I want to ask you this morning, though, do you struggle with it, that old, that old creature? If you know you've truly been saved, but you keep struggling, you know, the Lord's there for us. He'll help us. We have to rely upon him. We've got to come to him. You know, a lot of people try to do it all themselves, and I understand that, that mentality and that way of thinking. I'm pretty stubborn and hard-headed myself, but we've got to know. When it comes to things like that spiritual, our spiritual condition, we need the one that can help us with it, and that is the Lord Jesus. We've got to rely upon him. We've got to cast ourselves at his feet. We've got to come to him in prayer. We've got to get on our knees and ask him for help. We've got to do this. Because we can't just continue living in sin and like the world and like that old creature. We've got to put on that new creature. Put him on. Affirm it constantly. If you need help today, as we have an invitation song, Brother Scott, if you'll come, please. I want to pray. And if you need help, when you come down to the altar today, you can pray with me if you want to. You can pray by yourself. If you need help today, come to the Lord. Come to the Lord and ask for it. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. If you need help, come down. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the message today. Thank you for the conviction I felt in my heart, God. 
Lord, I'm praying today for those today that may be struggling. God, those that are saved and, Lord, still thinking the old way and living sometimes the old way, God, and slipping off into sin at times. God, we're praying that you help us with that. God, that we put on that new man, that new creature, Lord, that we are constantly affirming our faith in Christ. God, and living the way that you that would be pleasing to you. Help us with it today, Father. We struggle. God, you know we're nothing but flesh. And God, we're so thankful that you are faithful to, to forgive us for our sins. Help them, Father. If there's one today that needs help, would you help them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.